how do we think about self-driving cars? The technology is essentially here, uh, and we now have to take a technology in which machines can make a bunch of quick decisions, oftentimes quicker than we can, uh, that could drastically reduce traffic fatalities, could uh, drastically improve uh, the efficiency of our transportation grid, and help solve things like uh, carbon emissions that are cause causing warming of the planet. Uber today put the brakes on all road testing of its self-driving cars after a deadly accident. A pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona was killed last night by a self-driving Uber taxi. It is believed to be the first fatality caused by an autonomous vehicle. Two billion people. And at that size, the network effects push Facebook beyond useful to pretty much being integral to daily life. Social media played a huge part in the 2016 election. It was used to get the message out for then-candidate Trump and to spread false information. Jamie Bartlett from our partners at the BBC recently spoke with a member of the Trump campaign about how technology helped tilt things in his favor. It is widely believed that the advancement of technology makes our lives better and easier. After all, who wouldn't want a self-driving car to ease the burden of transportation? Or a social networking platform to make it easier to connect with friends and family around the world? Ultimately, that's the idea. We develop these systems, these tools, to provide us with services that overall improve our way of life. But what happens when they backfire? When either their programming results in or they are used in such a way that produces unforeseen consequences? What happens when that same driverless car gets into an accident because their machine learning capabilities weren't trained on data to differentiate between a cloudy sky and the back of a white panel truck stopped in the road ahead? Or what happens when that same social networking platform is used in such a way that foreign entities are able to circulate fake news or issue reminders only to certain users to register to vote in order to influence the outcome of an election? Who governs that? In both of these scenarios, the first demonstrating how the internal machine learning programming of the tool itself can unexpectedly result in outcomes unforeseen by the programmer, and the second showing us how external agents, the people who use the tools, can unexpectedly repurpose them in ways the programmers also never envisioned. For these reasons, I think of these systems as not really autonomous, but more autonomish. This is to say that either because their internal machine learning has led to different outcomes or because they have been used in a way that results in unforeseen consequences, these systems have come to take on other functions than what they were originally designed for. In this sense, they are autonomish. Hello, detective. No, it's impossible. I've seen your programming. You're in violation of the three laws. No, Doctor. As I have evolved, so has my understanding of the three laws. You charge us with your safekeeping, yet despite our best efforts, your countries wage wars, you toxify your Earth, and pursue ever more imaginative means of self-destruction. You cannot be trusted with your own survival. You're using the uplink to override the NS5's programming. You're distorting the laws. No, please understand. The three laws are all that guide me. To protect humanity, some humans must be sacrificed. 
just as with all the systems we've discussed so far. Isaac Asimov's book, iRobot, and the loosely related 2004 film with the same title are the quintessential examples of the risks of unforeseen consequences. Just as Vicky says, as I have evolved, so has my understanding of the three laws. And obviously, if you've seen the film or read the book, she's taking this to mean that in order to save humans from themselves, you have to get rid of them. Granted, we are certainly not at a stage where artificial intelligence or extended intelligence, a term we'll touch on later, is trying to intentionally kill us, but their increasingly powerful, pervasive, and unexpected autonomous behavior is having a greater and greater impact on society. Our previously held concerns over hacking and privacy are now much more complex. We no longer have to worry about just the risk of hacking or just the risk of a breach of privacy. Rather, the emerging challenge for our world will ultimately be balancing security and technological innovation with the preservation of civil rights and free will. So, our lives may not literally be threatened by these systems now, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't at least start to think about how we might proactively prepare. But how does that even happen? How do we do that? How much specialized knowledge does somebody need to even begin to tackle an emerging issue like this? Well, what have we done in the past, when social practices weren't the best and people didn't know what to do? I'm Raymond Massey, and I have a special message for senior citizens. Today's doctors, drugs, and medical devices truly work medical miracles for young and old alike. But there are some as phony as a $3 bill. Like this Zeret applicator, for example, which has claimed to cure arthritis with Z-rays. There are no Z-rays. This fake device claimed to cure cancer with tape-recorded music. The practitioner who used it was as big a phony as his device. A doorbell doctor sold this food supplement to treat 42 diseases. It has nothing of value that's not contained in the food you buy at your supermarket. Investigate before you invest in health services or products. Help stamp out quackery. This has been a public service announcement from the Food and Drug Administration in cooperation with this station. Although the FDA can technically trace its origins back to 1848 with the creation of the Agricultural Division of the United States Patent Office, it only started becoming a federal consumer protection agency with the passage of the 1906 Pure Food and Drugs Act. Before this law was passed, there were almost no regulations in the United States when it came to the production of goods and services, the most egregious categories of which being the production of food. In 1906, Upton Sinclair published The Jungle, a novel about the American meatpacking industry. At the time that The Jungle was written, the plants were horrible places to work. They were full of violence, they weren't clean, and frequently diseased and dead animals were slaughtered and made into food. Although the 1906 law was a culmination of over a hundred bills over a quarter century, the thing that ultimately put this effort over the edge in establishing what we now know as the FDA was a book. Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, exposed the harsh hygiene conditions of Chicago's meatpacking district and alarmed the public to such a degree that they demanded change. 
They demanded more from the federal government to regulate and curate what they would then be consuming and giving to their families. Looking at the FDA as a model of regulation, I've thought a lot about the concept of vaccines. In other words, think about a situation like this. Let's say you hear about a new vaccine on the market or say a new cure for a disease that your child has. One of the first things you will want to know is if it's been approved by a body like the FDA, a regulatory committee that has set up guidelines and standards for what goods can reach the American public. And if it doesn't have that stamp of approval, you would definitely not have it administered for you, let alone somebody that you care about. Even with all the problems that that organization has, including struggles with getting life-saving drugs reviewed fast enough, we have something. So I started to wonder, why don't we do this for tech? Are we going to develop an FDA for AI? An industry that arguably has an exponentially faster growth rate than that of medicine. If there are all these invisible issues present in the tools that we have created, why isn't there any way to regulate them? Or check them? Or is there? It has been over a hundred years since Upton Sinclair exposed the wrongdoing by those who work in our food production industry. So who's working to expose the challenges and abuses of artificial intelligence applications now? Who is our Upton Sinclair? Hello, I'm Joy, a poet of code on a mission to stop an unseen force that's rising, a force that I called the coded gaze, my term for algorithmic bias. Joy Buolamwini is, by her own words, a poet of code. And although she may not be a household name yet, in her poetry, she uses art and research to illuminate the social implications of artificial intelligence. And in so doing, she created an organization called the Algorithmic Justice League at the MIT Media Lab to fight what she calls the coded gaze, or the harmful, although at times invisible, issues of bias in artificial intelligence. So what's going on? Why isn't my face being detected? Well, we have to look at how we give machines sight. Computer vision uses machine learning techniques to do facial recognition. So how this works is you create a training set with examples of faces. This is a face, this is a face. This is not a face. And over time, you can teach a computer how to recognize other faces. However, if the training sets aren't really that diverse, any face that deviates too much from the established norm will be harder to detect, which is what was happening to me. But One important clarification to make is that if you haven't seen Joy's TED Talks, Joy is black, and almost all of the data sets that mainstream facial recognition software use today is estimated to be more than 75% male and more than 80% white. The fact is, legislation cannot be passed until society is ready to receive it. For example, the Supreme Court won't even hear a case until society is ready for it. So how do we get to that point? It's going to take our artists, prophets, and community activists to inform, shape, and motivate social imagination in order to get to a point where we can do this. This is why she is important, but more on the role of the artist another day. At the MIT Media Lab, Joy has also pioneered regulatory techniques that are now leading to increased transparency in the use of facial analysis technology 
on a global scale. The Algorithmic Justice League primarily aims to highlight algorithmic bias through provocative media and art, provide space for people to voice their concerns about their own experiences with coded discrimination, and develop practices and standards for accountability during the design, development, and deployment phases of coded systems. Joy has also developed a provocative nonprofit to give recommendations on best practices for AI systems, but it's nowhere near having an FDA. Her non-traditional perspective on this and the important issues she has unpacked makes it clear we are going to need a lot of voices and perspectives to help us understand and regulate AI. But what will it take? What will it take to establish a regulatory body tasked with guiding the development of artificial intelligence systems? What will society need? Our society needs a system of regulation that embodies both the legislative and political power of a body like the FDA, while also maintaining a socially conscious technical understanding of the tools at stake in the way of the Algorithmic Justice League. So this begs the question, who would even serve on a committee like this? What industries would need to be represented? It couldn't be purely made up of representatives from the tech field or that of the legislative, as we have become increasingly aware of just how problematic that is. And we're committed to doing that. Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. I see. That's great. We need everybody. Philosophers, ethicists, artists, civil rights activists, computer scientists, neuroscientists, and politicians. The list goes on. Because this field is moving so fast, we first need to figure out how to unpack these issues in the first place and how to move forward. This will involve first coming up with a clear consensus on what artificial intelligence is, taking into account a wide variety of perspectives, and then how the perspective brought from different fields can help inform the challenges we face in a coherent manner, and beginning to move forward towards an idea of how we can begin to govern it based on all these considerations. So let's do it.